We make all kinds of decisions based on the weather, and now Watson, that computer that beat everyone on Jeopardy, is looking at how the weather influences all kinds of behavior. Today, we talk about that and how IBM is using restless reinvention to constantly improve those predictions. This is Design Driven, the podcast about using design thinking to build great products and lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside a Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Today, we are excited to have Brian Hull. He is the head of Global Creative Labs for the Weather Company, which is an IBM business. Uh, hey, Brian, how are you doing today? Really good, Jay. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for joining us. So as, just as a way to get started, um, tell people a little bit about your background and what brought you to the Weather Company and what you're doing there. Sure. Um, I started off as a designer many moons ago. Uh, passionate in the creative world, and uh, I got to, uh, a traditional designer who got turned on to computers back in the 80s and 90s. I always swore I would never become a com- computer artist. I was always into fine art, uh, but that attention to detail got me into animation, uh, and animation got me into electronics and computers and old things like Soft Image and all these old animation programs that were really hot back in the day. Yeah, that seems um, to, to be a common to path for people. Yeah, and I had to go back to school to learn this stuff, um, all these programs. And uh, I remember I was—I think I spent about three weeks creating a uh, a globe uh, in, a, in a 3D program. And it took me about three weeks to, to map out the globe, and then uh, about another thirty hours to make it turn about a quarter of an inch. And my professor at the time said, hey, Brian, there's this new tool that just came out called Macromedia Flash you might be interested in. Uh, and I, within probably you know, three days, I was able to do what I couldn't accomplish in 30 days. And, uh, and the other side benefit on top of that was I was able to publish it out to this new thing called the World Wide Web and have my friends in Australia and all over the world comment on it and share it and play with it. So that's where the bug bit me. Um, and that front end passion for front end, I started to realize, well, if I need the front end to sing, I better learn the back end. So I got into coding so I could um, make those two things sing together. And that kind of got me uh, into the world of where I am now, like evolving quickly from a designer to coder to then a UX designer and to now a kind of strategic product creator. And with the weather company, I had a lot of big background within advertising agencies and digital and cutting my teeth there in San Francisco, New York. Um, the weather company really enticed me with what they were doing with data, especially within location. What I like to call the ultimate trifecta of data, which is uh, weather, location, and time of day. It affects every mm-hmm. single thing that you do, what you eat, what you drink, uh, what you wear, where you go on vacation, the car you drive. Uh, and then they lifted the hood on a lot of the data with me and showed it to me and that's when I went, okay, I got to get on, I got to get on board. Uh, And since we've been uh, acquired by IBM and now I'm working with a lot of those type of weather data driven experiences from advertising and product and now weaving in cognition and, and Watson experiences. Yeah. I think a lot of people probably underestimate just how much the weather impacts their daily decision making. So is that the kind of yeah. stuff that you're looking at? 
Absolutely. Um, we're moving away. Uh, we're no longer a weather company. We're a data company. Uh, right. And that you hit, the, you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, weather really does severely impact. And when you think about it, and you can start connecting the dots very, very quickly from your medical, your health, your wellness, your, your, medical, your, your emotional well-being, if it's constantly gloomy or if it's sunny, um, if you're an allergy sufferer, uh, there's, your, your moods are severely affected in, in the regions that you're in, right? Yeah. Um, and that, the science and the data behind that, we've been able to articulate and understand and, and prove out that depending on cloud coverage, wind speed, and dew point, that yogurt sales increase. Right? Now, who'd have thunk? Well, that's fascinating. Um, a similar scenario can happen uh, for uh, laundry detergent or carbonated beverages, let alone automotive car sales. It affects everything. Uh, so we're really pivoting more and more towards becoming a decision platform. So how, do, for yes. so how do you um, understand that data? I mean, we talk about doing user research all the time and that you really need to understand users' behavior and incentives and what tasks they're trying to accomplish. We talk about that stuff a lot. So how do you gather that information and then use that to drive some of the decisions that you're making around product and, and road mapping of features and that kind of thing? Sure. Well, there's a couple of ways of doing it. One is we location's a big one. And it's not a big brother type of scenario here where we're tracking people. But 85% of our users actually opt in to share their location with us. Um, the numbers dwarf uh, Google and Facebook combined in terms of allowing, uh, allowing people to track their location. Now, they realize that they have to let us track their location in order to give them life planning and, and many times life-saving weather alerts, right? Yeah. Um, how, can I, how can I give you a weather alert if there's a lightning nearby or a, 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 a tropical surge is coming your way if I don't know where you're at? Sure, or even thunderstorms so and flash floods and all kinds of stuff. Yep. You got it. You got it. So we're able to use that location to understand patterns and behavior, Um Look, and we're also, you know, we're not able to get too forensic. We don't know your name or, or uh, even down to a device ID or anything like that. But we can tell, are, you, are these, are people going in near um, car repair shops often? Are they going to fast food restaurants? Are they nearby shopping malls? Well, hmm, that, that person is probably an auto intender. We might want to start serving them uh, advertising elements that are, products, services, and experiences that are relevant to where they are uh, in that, that part of their life, like looking at their portraits and their rituals. Uh, that's why our advertising is so, so effective. We're not carpet bombing with um, irrelevant programmatic scenarios. We're very, very targeted, very, very smart in uh, understanding behavior and profile data so that we're in very high-end behavior profile data so that what we're offering and again, when you're using weather, location, and time of day, uh, I'm not going to offer you up a swimsuit if I know it's you know 20 degrees outside and with a high wind chill factor. It's it's very very relevant, and very very engaging. So, what um, 
What have been some of the more surprising things that you've discovered as you've dug into some of this behavioral information and, and how that dictates um, what people are doing? It's, a, it's an interesting question. It goes back to the forensic nature of kind of that, what you, you know, you even finish answering your first question, really. It's a nice segue, is that when you understand the matrix of possibilities that are tied to weather conditions um, and reactions, it, it's quite fascinating. A lot of things make sense right off the top of your head. You know, it's cold, show an ad for a um, sweater or a North Face parka jacket or Patagonia, etc. You're in a snowy, you're in the Northeast during the winter. I'm going to present you with an experience that maybe shows an automotive, uh, a car that's four-wheel drive, you know, versus a convertible. That stuff's easy breezy, right? That's simple block and tackle kind of if then else. Yeah, sure. But getting into understanding uh, how people react to uh, dew point or wind speed or cloud coverage, these things are really out of absolute absolutely fascinating our brands and advertisers and our partners that we work with find them absolutely fascinating as well and they're able to make pretty amazing decisions that influence not only the consumer side but also the business side um we 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 power a lot of communications for insurance insurance companies we're able to forecast uh, not only behavior but we're able to forecast the weather obviously and say um hey hailstorms coming Email all of your uh, your policyholders and tell them to get inside a garage if they have one. You're going to save millions of dollars in car damage on claims. Um, we're also able to forecast behavior for law enforcement uh, companies globally by uh, lunar by mapping lunar cycles, right? And then tying those weather conditions into lunar cycles. Well, we've all heard that oh, when it's a full moon, people go bonkers. Well, it's not just full moons. There are other type of lunar cycles combined with weather conditions that also affect behavior people. Uh, that, that kind of stuff is just absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it's really fascinating. So I'm thinking yeah, the, the common, I guess, uh, wives tale is that people go crazy under a full moon. So what other situations have you identified where behavior um, kind of is, is different than what you might expect or where there's an anomaly in the way a group of people might behave based on, on weather and, and the other factors that you're tracking? Sure. I can't, I can't go too deep into it because it probably a poison dart would come out of the ceiling and pop me in the neck. But there are, <laughs> especially when it comes into criminal behavior, uh, there are, when we're especially when we're working with law enforcement and whatnot, or military, uh, but there are, uh, as I mentioned earlier, why, how does, how does dew point and wind speed affect yogurt consumption or increased purchase behavior of laundry detergent? These types of things uh, are uh, uh, that math and that science that goes into that is is um, still being figured out as we speak, right? And a lot of times we can't quantify and qualify it. We just know it to be true based upon the history of weather patterns, and then also uh, let's say performance data. Whether that performance data can be sales from a dealership. Um, or sales from dealers nationwide, and then we start mapping patterns of weather over, let's say, a three- to five-year period of time. And if we have a three- to five-year uh, sales information, we can start making some pretty interesting correlations. Right? 
And there's a, there's chaos theory behind all that stuff. There's it's weather yeah, sure. is a finite science, um, but that's a pretty solid way of understanding behavior and mapping behavior, but maybe not understanding exactly why why wind speed dew point and cloud coverage makes those uh, makes people behave that way. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. And as I'm sitting here listening, thinking about predicting behavior. Um, some people may have their doubts because, as everyone knows, the weatherman is wrong 50% of the time, right? Because we just never know, specifically in some parts of the country where the weather can change pretty quickly. Um, so how do you get confidence in the predictions? Um, if, if the weather changes, how does that change the predictions that you're going to make around people's behavior? Great point. We move quickly. We have to. Um, this is a 24-7, 365 operation, um, and we pivot very, very quickly because you hit the nail on the head. Weather is not con- is always consistent, and that's changing and evolving uh, literally as we speak. Things that were never heard of or ever experienced in centuries are now being experienced, like Hurricane Sandy and others. Uh, things are uh, constantly in flux. So we're always expecting the unexpected, and and pivoting to to accommodate those those scenarios. There's a lot of if then else uh, scenarios that we plan for, so that when we do pivot, we're as relevant and as accurate as we possibly can be. And I deal more on the 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 communication side and the advertising and marketing side of utilizing that weather data and cogn- now cognitive data to interact with people. Now, not so much on the weather product side, but I can tell you that I'm proud to say that the weather company has been voted um, and, and found to be the most accurate weather forecast multiple years in a row globally. And uh, we're constantly evolving our infrastructure to make sure that we continue uh, to make the most relevant, the most accurate weather forecast on the planet. Yeah, because ultimately that's what people go to the Weather Channel for, right? Is they want to make sure that it's not going to rain today or that maybe they, they want to know if it is going to rain today so they don't have to water their garden. So I, another misconception that I know I've had in the past is that all the weather predictions come from generally the same source and that the weather company might be you know one of those de facto sources. So all the apps are the same or all of the weather uh, predictive sources are the same. Uh, when that's just really not true at all. So how do you um, how do you differentiate yourself in terms of prediction? Um, is is it really just letting people figure out that you're more accurate, or like is there something else involved? It's a good question. A um, couple of things. Uh, one, we actually power weather company data. Actually, powers most of the other apps and the weather, weather experiences that are out there, with yep. the exception of a few competitors. So we power Microsoft, we power uh, Google, we power Facebook, et cetera. Um, most of the ones that people use at scale globally. Um, but where we really shine is there's a heritage and a trust that's been built up of working that's, that's really uh, owned to the cable side. I mean, we are the Campbell's soup of weather. We are the trusted heritage brand 
uh, we weren't, we're not new on the scene. We've been around for quite a long time. Yeah, going way back so that, to early cables, like there was two yeah. channels that were on every box. The guide that told you what was on and the weather channel, which is always like channel three or something. So you always knew where to go. Yep. And over that time, though, we've been able to learn and understand what do people need? What, what, are, what are the elements that they're looking for? And also that, that varies region by region and country by country and locale by locale. Um, some people want boating information and some people want skiing information. Easier at their fingertips, not more uh, easily accessible than others, right? Um, we're introducing a new cognitive home screen with our, our, new, our new mobile app experiences that start dynamically presenting data that is more relevant to you. And that's another thing that's interesting, too, with not only the content of the weather products, but also the advertising. And that even extended television. Um, Because when IBM acquired us, they actually did a split of IBM doesn't normally own or acquire consumer brands, especially ones that are like us at such a high scale. Uh, so, So they separated out the cable side from the data side, right? Right. Through the mobile and the, app and the website, uh, and they did that because they wanted the data, really, to power product services and experiences that they could offer uh, their clients all the way up to enterprise level organizations. Right? Because that weather data comes in handy, not only for a lot of IBM's large customers, but for Watson as well. So we're we're feeding in Watson to uh, start helping enterprise-level brands make decisions and also helping consumers make decisions. So that goes all the way up to some of the largest enterprise-level organizations that you can think of globally to you, Jay. If you download that app, you're going to have a very different experience than your next-door neighbor, depending on how you use it over time. So we want it. It's all about personalization. It's all about relevance so that those recommendations are meaningful to you. It's not just about, to your point, is it sunny or is it going to rain? You can look out your, your window, but it's about forecasting and planning your life. Right. So it's funny because I use the example of a weather app sometimes when I'm talking with startups around um, understanding people's behavior kind of in their native habitat. Like if you go to the zoo, seeing a monkey just sit in a, in a cage isn't very entertaining. It's not good for the monkey. But if you can go to the wild and see the monkey swinging around in their natural habitat, it's a much more authentic observation of what they do, right? So using a weather app, a lot of people um, assume that you're going to be in the same environment every time you're looking at the weather app. Like you're always sitting at the breakfast table or you're always sitting at your desk or something similar. And I tell people that's not true. Like a lot of times you're going to be sitting on the side of your bed putting your socks on or you're going to be looking at it right as you got out of the shower or whatever it might be. Um, and we never know. So how are you um, looking at different user behavior and using that information to guide that product experience? That's a great question. Um, I didn't know where you were going with the monkey example in the zoo, but that all came together. Uh, that's a... Uh, Really, right now, it's in its nascent stages of behavior and access to data. Is the paradigm is shifting, right? right? Because it used to be, you know, news and cable, and now it's mobile and web. But now we're seeing more and more. It's about uh, voice, UX or VUX experiences. Sure. Currently, it takes me five taps on my mobile phone 
a minimum of five taps to order an Uber car. Or I can just tap it once and say, Siri, I need an Uber downstairs to take me to JFK in 20 minutes to the Delta terminal. Done. Right. Um, and you, you know, a year ago, did you think you'd be talking to a smart speaker in your living room? Right? No. Let alone. You know, we think we about thought only Iron work. Man could do that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's start thinking about autonomous vehicles and that captive audience. Uh, what are people going to start doing when they're not driving? Uh, are, are they going to start looking at screens or they're going to start talking and using voice or using kind of uh, um, narrative experience, narration experiences? Right. Uh, like giving some information about where I am and where I'm driving by or where are restaurants that I may like? And by the way, my son has a peanut allergy, so make sure that those restaurants uh, cater to my uh, son with a peanut allergy and my uh, wife that's a vegetarian. And, and all these type of again, personalized experiences that are delivered to consumers across multiple touch points. It's now the, the ecosystem's hard to nail down. Uh, screens are important and they're they're kind of a a good paradigm right now but those screens are changing right and mm -hmm. uh, uh voice is what we seem to be the uh, a big part of, of where we're going and of course mobiles you know not going to go away anytime soon but how we interact with our mobile devices and the pieces of glass around us are definitely changing yeah, absolutely. I mean, even in my home, I think we've shifted from looking at a screen to get weather to just asking Alexa for it. And it, sometimes those predictions are, are usable if I'm staying near my home. But if I'm going somewhere else, it might not always, I might not know exactly the zip code or the or the place that I'm, that I'm going to that's going to help me understand if it's going to be clear or cloudy or rainy or whatever. So I think there's still a little bit of work to be done there. I'm just curious, um, how are you... How are you gathering that feedback? Are you, you said you're in the creative labs. Are, are you bringing people in? Are you doing field studies? And like, what kind of work are you doing that's getting that information for you? All the, all the above. Um, it's all about, you know, a couple of, that goes back to our design thinking principles. Um, with IBM, they have three things that really guide them, which are, you know, a focus on user outcomes, restless reinventions, and, and diverse empowered teams working on all these. Um, the first is, you know, they're all very, very important. But the first is to really start focusing on why. Know, what, why are we, not only are we focusing on the outcome, but how do we get people to start? How do, they, how do we get people to interact with these experiences so they can understand the value proposition, so they can understand the reward mechanism, whether it's entertainment, advice, information, sales, offers, a voice, so much more. Uh, that goes down to really basic ethnographic research, you know, like a archaeologist understanding, well, what, what's the environment that people are in? Uh, what, how can they access information that's valuable and relevant to them, right? Whether it's in their car, their office, their home, their school, their gym, and, and their supermarket, wherever they may be. Right. Uh, the restless reinvention part, though, that's really, that's where things get interesting is, you know, we try and stay essential by treating everything as a prototype. Nothing's ever a set it and forget it. Um, I find that web experiences are starting to get not stale, but there are boxes and there's deep, deep science that goes into user experience. You remember how everything used to be above the fold and that was a, 
uh, a standard and, and, and uh, a rule that existed. Now it's that 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 paradigm's been broken. Yep. Um, but now it's boxes, and people are looking. You know, commerce is taking over with in different ways than before, especially on mobile experiences and then geo-specific and location. Making those recommendations like, hey, and not only do we know what you like, but we know it's around the corner. Here's a map and here's a coupon. Have a nice day. Uh, starting to get really, really hyper-local with the messaging, the offers and incentives, uh, and the information that we're giving to you, whether it's the weather or whether it's a coupon, right, for a dress that's on sale. But it's all about uh, constantly torture testing at every step of the game, whether it's in a vehicle, in store, in a shelf blade, on a product, uh, a um, wherever it may be across a, a consumer or a business ecosystem, um, constantly testing, and there's never a, a set it, forget it. Uh, especially with this, where we're at right now, it's it's too nascent. Everything's brand new, and a, one of the lines I use over and over again is we're building the bridges, we're driving across it constantly. Yeah, or uh, assembling the plane on the way down after you jumped off the ground, right? <laughs> Hopefully not crashing down. Yeah, you got it. You yeah, got it. yeah exactly. Um, are you concerned at all about people's perception of um, that type of hyper-local and behavioral-based ad targeting? Are you concerned about that being problematic? Well, if it's if it's disruptive and if it's not relevant, you bet. Absolutely. If it adds to the experience, if it's opt-in, uh, you know, that is where the value – it's all about relevance and a value exchange. If – I'm not giving people offers, incentives, services, products, and experiences that are relevant and empowering them, helping them make decisions or propel their world and their life, then, yeah, that's disruptive in a, in a bad way, in a bad way. And that's where uh, ad blockers come into play, and that's where you know, people are becoming, heck, even when I was doing study and research over a dozen years ago, People are really good at tuning out digital advertising experiences. Yeah, uh, really, really good. Uh, and I, they are trained like an athlete to hop over the hurdles of disruptive ad experiences, so that they can continue to consume editorial content or other uh, the other content they originally came to this experience for. Right. Um, so ads over ads overall can be quite challenging. But to your point, in terms of hyper-local or targeting you in a uh, uh, too much of an invasive, personalized way. Um, that's something that we're, we, don't, we don't participate in. And I don't see anybody being successful in doing something like that. It's just that's turning your ad into a, a, ro- a, a robocall. I think we've all been to those pages that are just littered with ads, and it's like playing a game of find the content where you're trying to scroll through and actually discern what is an ad? What is the content that actually came here for? Um, so people are getting really, really well trained in tuning out advertising that they don't deem as relevant. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's all about that personalization that, that, and the relevance in order for that to be engaged upon and in order for it to be rewarding for either the brand or the advertiser. Um, right. And we see, we see ads uh, having a very, very... No, the shelf life isn't isn't much longer uh, for typical ad experiences as they are right now in boxes and rectangles and what we used to call barkers or shout-outs uh, right. constantly barking at you to get your attention. Yeah, the old uh, banner ads are, are dying. Yep. 
it's turning more into a, what we think of as a cognitive assistant, like something that's helpful that I can interact with or engage with, whether it's in my car or with my appliance or with my mobile device or on our applications or our product services and experiences, um, no matter where we are, that we can engage with them and start having a uh, relevant, rewarding kind of utility experience, right? And again, that's what weather really is at the heart of we're helping you make decisions. Right. Yeah, so it's shifting more from being a here's a thing you might like into a recommendation that's actually tailored to your specific lifestyle and behavioral choices. You got it. And we're getting more and more of that type of uh, combining that with the input. This kind of goes back to your other question, like how do we tweak it? You know, we have feedback loops um, constantly. Uh, Was this helpful? Was this not helpful? Again, going back to that, treating everything as a prototype. Also, utilizing multiple not only teams, but also diverse, diverse people. We're not constantly marketing and testing with millennials. We're testing with elderly people. We're testing with different ethnic groups. We're testing with people in different languages. Um, how do they react to it? How, uh, how can we make it relevant uh, for the most amount of people? Um, yeah, and I imagine the, the results you see are, are pretty widely variant depending on not just – um, the groups, but you know their personal preferences, which might fall into some general categories based on the group they're in, but but still, there's probably a pretty wide variance. Yep, and that uh, that two way conversation and that dialogue is what we're 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 doing a lot of work in right now. Now, as I was mentioning earlier, with voice with Watson Technologies, um, and then also being to your point, very very careful about privacy. Um, what do we do? Um, how do we handle? If I create an ad for GSK or a utility experience for Watson that talks about uh, cold and flu, how do I handle information where people may give me medical information via voice or text on an advertising experience? So we have to follow a lot of rules and guidelines and privacy. And there's also um, the GDPR, uh, the global uh, domestic privacy rules that are coming out and launching out in May of 18. Uh, we're well ahead of that as well in uh, already instituting uh, all, of, all of those standards in our products, services, and experiences globally uh, so that we're able to really protect you know, people's information and data so that, and they can trust that they're interacting with an experience that's not going to turn around and start selling personal information. Right. And you don't want to end up being um, uh, like Target where they inadvertently told someone they were pregnant when they didn't yeah. even know yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of watch outs and gotchas, uh, again, because it's such it's such a brave new world that we're in. Um, we've got to be very, very careful uh, about how we're interacting with people and what we're doing with the information that they're giving us. Because um, it is now more than ever, as I was talking about that cognitive assistant, it's a two way value exchange in the communication. Right. Um, we're, we're, we need input in order to give relevant output. And we have to be careful about what we do with the input and the output of that data. Um and these experiences that we're building for brands, um, we, we need to be careful about the intellectual property. If we build a cognitive experience, um, we're very protective of uh, that intellectual property that that experience was built for, for that brand. But that doesn't then uh, become kind of a part of another brand experience, right? Right, uh, right. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably a, a, a good lesson to take away is that, you know, as you're designing any experience, you have to think about 
both sides of the transaction, right? It's not just about what can you tell somebody, but what are you listening to and, and how are you creating a dialogue and making sure that, that what you're doing is actually adding value to their lives instead of just uh, sticking something in front of their face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on the show today and and talking a little bit about what you're working on. If somebody wants to learn more or just reach out to you and get in touch, what's the best way to do that? Sure, they can hit me at Twitter at uh, bhole one. That's my handle on Twitter, and um, I'd be great to converse with anybody out there. All right, sounds good, and we'll put that in the show notes. Um, Brian, thanks again for coming on. I'd love to catch up with you again some point in the future, get you back on the show, so we'll talk about that offline, and uh, I hope you have a great day. Thanks, you too, Jay. Thanks for having me. All right, take care.